0: And I think, that's, I think that, that makes it fun. I mean, the rivalries are what's special, uh, you know, for us. I mean, obviously, uh, every game that we play is really important. The rivalry games always have a little bit more meaning to them. Um, but I don't know that one's bigger than, than the other for us, you know. And I think, it's, uh, I think if you, you look at the fans, I, I think maybe if you look at the, the Florida-Georgia, Rivalry, you know, and it is a unique deal because it has a lot of uh, implications on who's going to win the SEC East. If you look at Florida-Florida state rivalry, uh, it has a lot of implications on people that are neighbors and live next to each other and, you know, within the state boundaries. And uh, so I I think it's they're they're very unique in their own way of what makes the rivalry special. Okay, we're going to go back here on the right side, right here alongside the aisle. Ryan LaVoie, Sports Call Auburn. Coach Mullen, do you have any interest talking about that Florida-Georgia rivalry of making it into a campus game both in Athens and in Gainesville, or do you like that it's a neutral site in Jacksonville? Um, you know what? I, I, I think you can make an argument either way. I think I think being in the neutral site, obviously, it makes it a very special game, a very unique game that you get to go coach in. And there's not many of those in college football. You know, if you look at those every year traditional – Uh, Neutral site games, right? And I might might be off on it. I know there's Florida, Georgia, uh, there's Texas, Oklahoma, and there's Army, Navy. Uh, I don't know if there's any more than that. If I am, I don't want to offend a rivalry out there. Uh, But that—that's something special to say that you got to play in this very special, unique game. but you can also see and make the argument on the other way of how big a game it is. You know, you're lo- you're taking one of your biggest rivalry games every year, and you're moving it off campus where you can't host that in your home stadium for your fans, all your season ticket holders for recruiting. Uh, so I mean, I, I think you can make arguments on, on both sides of why it should stay in Jacksonville, why it should leave Jacksonville, uh, and be a home and home. Um, and it's interesting. I think you know it'll be it'll be interesting discussion in the next couple of years is when the contract runs up of, of what the future is going to be for that game. Hey, we're going to stay on the coach, about three-quarters of the way back, if you could stand, Thank you. Coach, Ben Portoy from Commercial Dispatch, just at Mississippi State, year one to year two, you all obviously made a big jump. Is there anything you can maybe apply from say that situation to this year's and i guess obviously having jumped to 10 wins last year is there what maybe goes into jumping from say 10 to 11 or 12. well uh, let's, let's hope we make the same jump we did there so i think we went from five to nine or ten nine uh that's four so if we can go from 10 to 14 that would be pretty good uh, this year i would take that and but i i think a lot of it i think comes from year one to year two i think coming in now everyone understands the program um, you know, so when you come in last year, when you show up in, in January and you're going through the offseason, the first time the guys had ever done it, uh, they're going through spring ball. They didn't really always know what to expect out there on the field, even though you can talk about it. They never physically done it. Uh, then you go through summer and training camp Then in season, you know, we go to play our first game and your, your first pregame meal. It's like, OK, you know, I mean, this is how does this work? Uh, I think in year two, there's a lot more comfort within the program. Our guys knew what to expect to come into the offseason. It's easier to attack the off season, And I think we've made bigger gains uh, in a lot of ways this offseason uh, than we did last year. I think, you know, a lot of last years are dramatic gains because, you know, it's very different than what they've done. But this year, there's a better understanding of what we're trying to accomplish so you can make big gains. Uh, in spring ball, we go out on the practice field. There's no question or doubts. When we go to drills, everybody knows what the ex- expectations are. They've run the offense and run the defense. So I think that gives you an opportunity to have a, a, a big jump in the second season. Obviously, I think we had a great year last year, but uh, we'd love it to be even better this year. Coach, we'll go on this left aisle of this center section
1: in the back. Hey, Dan, uh, Brooks Cabina from The Advocate in Baton Rouge. Uh, yeah, There seems to be a trend, at least at LSU, with defenses looking for one-on-one matchups, even going away from standard positions in the secondary and linebackers to get those just offensively. Have you noticed that and how do you attack that offensively?
0: Well I think one thing, I think if you look at football, it's is there is a very much of a matchup game. It's something that I think we started to really work on about fifteen years ago when we created the offense is how to create advantageous matchups out there on the field is how to take um, you know how to work to get one of our better players or our best players on one of your weaker players. and So I think uh, that was always a a big focus that we have and it's, uh, I think if you look at football at the next level, the NFL, I think that's a huge focus in the NFL of how do they create different matchups on the field. Well, Because of that, I think defenses have done a great job throughout the years of trying to adjust to that, of of, okay, if if Howard, if you're creating this matchup over here offensively, uh, how do we defend, create a huge advantageous matchup on you and it's just part of the chess game back and forth. Hey, Coach, we'll go over to our right here in the second row.
1: Coach Allen Binder from the New York Times. There was no turnover this offseason among head coaches in the SEC. How do you see that translating to your field prep or
0: your game prep and your on field work? Um... I don't know. We don't play everybody in the league, so I guess it's only tricky when you're playing somebody new. Um, but there be there were some coordinator changes as well, so you're going to have to deal with that part of it. You know, whoever's calling the plays and how you adjust to those things. Um, but it is it was good. Pretty pretty interesting that there wasn't turnover this year. Been, this is my I think my 11th year being here um, at, at SEC Media Days, and and. Uh, this might be the first time in those 11 years that they're, you know, when you go to, we go to our league meetings, you go to the spring meetings and it's all oh, same 11. Well, the other 13 people are the same. It was 11 for a while. Um, and 13 people are all the same. So I don't know that that's happened before, but I, I think it's unique. I think it's great. I think, you know, I do think there's a lot to building programs. Uh, I was very fortunate. I got to spend nine years at Mississippi state university with a, in, uh, um, I, in that time I was allowed to go build a program and build a program that could potentially win consistently. I know it's tough in today's world because everybody wants instant gratification. Uh, but we're, I was able to, a, a, a program that could win consistently there. And, uh, that's the same thing I want to accomplish at the University of Florida is to come in and build a program that uh, not just wins but also competing for championships on a consistent basis. And uh, to do that, sometimes that takes time. And, and, you know, I guess it's good to see that people are looking in and saying, hey, if we feel comfortable with the, pro- the direction our program's headed, um, we're going we're to be patient with this and, and give this coach an opportunity to go build it, to go have success over the long call. Coach, we'll go here to our left in the front row, Parish. Parrish Alford Daily Journal. Dan, what was your take on Van Jefferson, how he adapted to new surroundings, and your expectations for him? Well, I think Van, you know, I mean, coming in and being a first-year player in our program, he worked hard. I mean, he came in, did worked his tail off in the offseason, put on some weight and some size, got faster, um, you know, and then went out and, and performed. I mean, he is a he's a worker uh you know I don't, he's one of those guys that is constantly working every day on being a better route runner working on his hands studying the game understanding the game uh and i think that translated into a lot of the success he was our leading receiver last year and, and coming back this year i think he's a guy also has great maturity to understand and saying okay here's the parts of my game that i need to I, you know I, as all of our guys do have great aspirations of going on and playing professional football and, um, but he has the maturity to understand here's parts of my game I can continue to work on to put myself in a position to be completely prepared when I get an opportunity to go to the next level um, and he's done that all spring and, and has had a, a, a tremendous spring and has really adapted well uh, into the program into what we do and how we run the program um, and it's really great I mean our program's about hard work and, you know, and that's, that's something he believes in so I think it's a great fit for him to be in a program that really has the same values that he has Coach will go straight in front of us here on the front row. Coach, we know Joe Bombo, SB Nation Radio. We know you've always talked about this system being sort of like a two-year process, and clearly you guys hit the ground running last year. Uh, How do you control the narrative that the bar could possibly be set too high
2: and going into this year? What's your message to those guys?
0: Well, I set the bar... I like to set the bar really high you know I, I think I don't know if there's anybody other has higher expectations for this team and for the program as a whole than I do uh, so we like to set that bar high and we're constantly striving to uh, to be the absolute best that we can be uh, so I don't always let expectations bother me I, I kind of like them um, having expectations, and I like guys in our program to have expectations and expect great things from themselves, expect great things from the team, and expect great things from the program, so uh, instead of shying away from them, embrace those expectations, you know, and try, uh, try to live up to them, and to be honest with you, try to surpass the expectations that are out there for you as a team and for us as a program, and uh, uh, I, I think if, if, if you do that, you're going to have the opportunity to be successful, and uh, you know, it, that's something we've, we've always tried to live by. Okay, Coach, we'll go back over here to our right on the second
1: row. Microphone coming up behind you. Coach, Matt Lowe with Lindy Sports. Uh, just wanted to get your uh, – what about the transfer portal? Do you think there should be some kind of a, 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 a timetable ta- time where kids can transfer in? What kind of challenges does that presented as far as managing your roster?
0: Well, being new, I think there's, it offers a, a great deal of challenges right now for everybody. And, you know, I think one of the hard ones is finding the balance of, um, the, you know, the signing limitations that the NCA has. And, and I understand it. I haven't worked on NCA committees. i understanding why they have those and the reasoning for them. Um, but also, if you're going to have the transfer portal and this many guys enter the transfer portal, uh in one year i think you also have to look and say okay well we've changed a rule over here so we have to be willing to change a rule over here to make it fit uh to allow coaches to be able to best manage the roster and allow programs to manage their roster um i think it'll be something i think it'll still be probably a, you know some rough waters still for the next couple of years for everybody uh everybody involved you know the players that are transferring uh, the programs that, you know, that, that have guys transferring in and out of, and uh, obviously the NCAA and, and different leagues at the administrative level of what the trends are and how to go wor- work with it, right? I think some, I read somewhere there's more kids in the transfer portal than scholarships available, so that doesn't make a lot of sense for those kids. I mean, kids are, kids are going to be left without, and kids are going to uh, be put in a bad situation, uh, potentially. You know, some it'll work out for some, not for others. And... Uh, that's, always, that's always a rough deal. So I'd be interested to see how it goes over the next couple of years um, within transfers. You know, and, and for these kids, I mean, hey, you know, we, we have – I've had a guy on a transfer portal come me and say, so Coach, it's good, right? I'm going to be immediately eligible where I can go play there next year. I don't think so. I think you have to – you know, that school's going to have to file a waiver for you. Uh, for the NCAA. And, well, can you say yes? I said, I, the NCAA says yes. I don't control who's eligible and not in the NCAA. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of a learning curve that goes on, and there's going to be continue to be a lot of learning curve uh, for both players, uh, coaches, and administrations within the transfer portal for the next couple of years until everybody adapts to it. There's going to be a new norm, though, in college football. It's going to be very different than it's been. Uh, And I think as everybody learns to adapt to it and what the best way is to adapt to it, we'll see over the next several years. Okay, we have time for maybe one more. If anybody has one, we'll come back up
1: here here and finish on the right-hand side, second row. Hey, Coach, uh, Bruce Marshall from Sports Byline USA. Quick question about uh, players coming out early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in comparison to basketball, which seems to have, allows a little bit more time for the players to judge. They, go, they have camps, they can pull their name out. Uh, yeah, on the football side, it happens really quick,
2: especially for teams that play in bowl games, and that process seems to really be rushed. Is that an optimal way to do it, or do you think something more like basketball is more appropriate
0: but I'd have to really study the basketball way. I study our way because I know that's the reality that we live in right now. And so what's the best way uh, for me? You know, as a head coach, I try as best as I can to educate guys and to help and allow them to make great decisions, you know, of, uh, for the short term and obviously for their long-term futures. And I, I think it is. I-, I think one of the hardest things we do deal with is making sure that guys get the proper information and make great decisions, you know, you know i've seen guys make really good decisions declaring early for the nfl draft and i've made seen guys make really good decisions coming back to school um and staying to continue their growth and development uh, you see guys that make really poor decisions leaving early for the nfl draft you know where that that, that really hurt them and they could have had a lot more success if they had stayed uh I don't I haven't seen many that have decided to stay and that hurt them so I, I I maybe I'm sure there's one or a couple of cases out there um but but to me it is making sure that they are they have the knowledge and the understanding to make the best decisions for themselves and for the future. And what they, um, and I always hope that guys make the right ones. That, that's, that's the biggest one for me is, is mine is I hope they make the right ones because, you know, my concern is not just short term, but their long term future, that they're making the best decision for them, for their, for their future in their lives. All right, Coach Mullen, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks everybody. We'll see you. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Get ready for some football. Go get
2: Yep, this is on Coach Mullen. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. This Florida football team, I'm gonna be honest with you, uh, and I kid you not, this team is gonna definitely gonna be a, um, an SEC East contender. It's highly amazing how they changed from five to seven. They had a five and seven record a couple of years ago uh, when Dan Mullen was hired uh, to um, nine to ten wins a year. That's amazing. Uh, that's amazing turnaround in those two years that he was um, the head coach uh, with um, Florida. So, I'm going to be honest with you. Look, if he can keep this team on track, the sky's the limit. Without a shadow of a doubt. So, um, that's my take on it. Um, uh, if you have an opinion about the uh, Florida football team, you can state your opinion via Facebook, Periscope, YouTube, and Twitch, Uh, we have people in there right now, Richard Anderson, and also Fox87 from Facebook, Uh, uh, if if you're on YouTube, you can come in as well, also uh, if you're on Periscope, and also if you're on Twitch, so let's go ahead and switch this out, we'll have our last, um, 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 Podium guy. It will be uh, Greg Sankey. He is the uh, SEC Commissioner uh, with the SEC. He's going to explain how the SEC is getting ready for the uh, 2019 um, college football season, which is celebrating their 150th anniversary uh, of uh, college football. So let's begin with um, Greg Sankey. Um, So let's go ahead. So um, let's switch this over. We should... um, have this up in a few seconds give me one second to switch it uh please please um please remember we do have the um recorders on uh for um so we can uh, have it on the podcast it will be on the anchor app um you can go to anchor.fm that's anchor.fm and you can uh, search for the podcast and hear the um the entire interviews of these coaches so let me go ahead and uh, play um Commissioner Greg Sankey is the SEC commissioner. Let me go ahead and switch it up. Wireless network claims are so. Su-
1: speak and visit through the week. I know there's interest in where we conduct media days next year. So I'm pleased to announce that will be in Las Vegas. Oh, I'm kidding. That's where our new bowl game is. Just wanted to make sure people are paying attention. I think some of you may need massages after I watch your next snap up. We are happy to have the Las Vegas Bowl in our inventory beginning in 2020. Next year, after the success in Atlanta last year, we will return to Atlanta for Football Media Days. We will use the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame once again as our base. Media Days will stay on the move in 2021. And we will go to the Music City and enjoy the new Grand Hyatt Nashville for media days. We appreciate the hospitality here in Hoover and at the Winfrey this week, and we look forward to the new opportunities in the future. The season ahead includes a celebration of college football's 150th anniversary. The SEC will be a part of that like everyone else. As our football student athletes display commemorative patches upon their uniforms, The league will also, through its athletics communications directors, celebrate 150 of the finest moments of SEC football. Those will not be selected by the commissioner, so if someone gets angry about whether or not a moment is part of the 150th best, it won't be me. We will be, however, releasing those moments and announcing them through social media and over the SEC network throughout the season. We made history back in 2014. As Disney CEO Bob Iger said, we launched the most successful channel in the history of cable television. It's a Joe DiMaggio-like standard, one that we expect will stand the test of time. On August 14th, the SEC Network will celebrate a hard-to-believe fifth anniversary already. That's a tribute to the passion of our fans, the commitment and the hard work of the personnel on our university campuses, their support, student athletes that comprise our teams, and the hard work and dedication of the team at ESPN. We look forward to continuing to innovate and serve sports fans uniquely through an authentic SEC experience, and we want to stand second to none among all of our peers. On Tuesday, you're gonna hear more about the SEC Network, both our programming plans for 2019, and how we celebrate this fifth anniversary when Chris Turner, ESPN's vice president for day-to-day operations of the network, joins you in this room. Tonight, there's a special program, something we call Homecoming. It's our fourth episode, hosted by Paul Feinbaum. Tonight's feature at 7 Eastern, 6 Central is on Titus O'Neil. If you're not familiar with Titus, that's his ring name in WWE. He was known as Thaddeus Bullard during his playing days at Florida. All of the stories we've told on Homecoming that Paul has been a part of helping us tell have been interesting stories. The Story of Titus or Thaddeus is absolutely remarkable and I encourage people to tune in at 7 tonight. As part of the effort to stand out from our peers, we've been working for over two years with the folks from ESPN Films, the SEC Story Program, and this year on the SEC Network, we will debut Saturdays in the South, a history of SEC football for 90 minutes every Tuesday, beginning at 9 Eastern. This eight-part series will first take us back to the late 1800s, You will hear stories of greased railroad tracks, an era before the SEC chant was ever heard, and will weave tales through the decades to the modern era of success experienced now by the Southeastern Conference. Tomorrow, in this room, we will have three of the SEC's legendary figures here to visit with you, Archie Manning, Herschel Walker, and Steve Spurrier. Archie, Steve, and Herschel will also join us later Tuesday evening, along with many of you downtown in the Lyric Theater, for a special premiere of portions of Saturday in the South. This will become, I am certain, because it's a high-quality production, appointment viewing every week on Tuesday evenings, not only for SEC football fans, but for college football fans. We leave now history behind because we're mindful of the changes happening around college athletics every day. Those changes often affect the Southeastern Conference, given our position, and legalized sports gambling and its accessibility is one of those changes confronting us all. The SEC presidents and chancellors have expressed strong support for NCAA national office efforts to seek federal legislation that will regulate sports gambling. Ideally, there would be uniform practices applicable across states throughout the country governing gambling on college sports, particularly eliminating specific in-game betting and proposition bets on college sports. As I stated last year, it may be ideal for us not to experience in sports gambling, What is needed now is for our state and federal legislative leaders to enact policies, oversight and to fund enforcement of those policies and laws to make sure we are protecting the integrity of our games and supporting properly our student-athletes and the students even on our campus. With those those observations in mind, we just identify emerging reality between sports gambling and mental health.
2: Let me give you a little uh, a tidbit on this um, on sports gambling. Look, it will never go away. They can have all the regulations they want, but as long as sports gambling is around, they're not gonna they're not gonna um they're not gonna um crack down on it because look, a lot of people bet on college football games. You could you could bank it. you could bet your bottom dollar on it. I mean I mean and I kid you not. I mean sure they're gonna they could try but try to nip it in the butt but the truth of the matter is it won't happen because it will continue. I I I tell you that now. I mean sure I'm for the regulations but they'll find they'll find loopholes. They'll absolutely find loopholes. Loopholes. I mean, it's not. It's not that. It's not. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out uh, loopholes. So, uh, so he thinks that he's going to stop um, sports betting on college football. They're sadly mistaken. So, that's my take on it. We'll go back to um, Kosanke. Um, we'll let you uh, listen to him. The
1: for participating in college sports is to challenge oneself on a campus athletically and academically and to deal with the pressures present in the competitive environment. Yet we're seeing trends in the mental health area that should cause us all to pause before these ideas around specific event betting within college sports are allowed to take place. And I'm talking about for example whether a field goal is made or missed, whether a three-point try is successful. is a pitch ball, a strike or a ball. That pause should happen before any of these types of activities take place because if you were part of a student athlete advisory committee meeting in the SEC ten years ago, you would have commonly discussed campus parking issues and answering the question, why do I have to return my textbooks at the end of the semester? Now, at every meeting, our student athletes themselves Asked to discuss issues around mental health. They share their stories, the stories of their colleagues, both those on their team, those within the conference, and those outside the conference. The perspectives on mental health represent not a ripple of change, but a wave of new reality which faces all of us in intercollegiate athletics and in higher education. NBA Kilver identified it at an even higher competitive level when he spoke at MIT's Sloan Analytics Conference this spring. He observed that in sports we're seeing something that's really part of a larger societal issue. His quote was this, I don't think it's unique to these players. I don't think it's something that's just going on around superstar athletes. I think it's a generational issue. End of quote. San Diego State University psychology professor Jean Twenge, who's one of the world's leading experts on generational differences in American youth, said this, quote, it's not an exaggeration to describe iGen or Generation Z as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. It's the end of her quote. You know, those remarks are sobering, not just for student athletes, but for young people as they go from adolescence to adulthood. In January, the five autonomy conferences adopted new minimum requirements for provision of mental health counseling to our student athletes. I'm pleased to say that for the Southeastern Conference we meet or exceed those requirements. But at the end of June this year, we asked our student athletes during our leadership forum, student athletes from every one of our sports, we asked them For their input on campus mental wellness support, what's working, what programs overall are offered, and what ideas they have on how the Southeastern Conference Office can better support them and their teammates. Moving forward, just as we support academic counselors through collaboration, through communication and through sharing recommendations, the same with our sports medicine directors, our mental health counselors will be brought in as part of the conversation within the conference to determine how best in moving forward we support the student athletes of the Southeastern Conference. Our student athlete leadership groups, as you can imagine, also engage in dialogue about issues related to name, image, and likeness, but more specifically compensation issues and the financial support provided to student athletes. They noticed in May when the NCA announced a working group to look at federal and state legislative initiatives happening around this NIL concept. If you've studied any of this, you know the NCA's timeline is quick for an issue that's been percolating for years. We operate in a world that changes frequently. In fact, probably all of us have observed the world is changing more frequently now than ever before. But the reality is that change is a constant. What's also a constant is the need to identify informed, relevant principles to guide decision making. As is everyone in intercollegiate athletics, we're interested in contributing to and hearing from the NCAA's working group, to monitor the governmental activity at the state and federal level, and to properly represent our position in existing litigation. As it relates to change and attention, the sport's officiating environment may be at the top of that list. We know there's an ongoing need for self-examination, and so last September, in the SEC office, we began an intentional effort to look closely at how we best support our officiating programs, particularly in the sport of football. I shared at our spring meetings, We had spent much of the spring working with Deloitte Consulting's advisory practice when they were engaged in conducting an external review of our football officiating program. This was not triggered by a game or a play or a series of issues. What I told our coaches in February is, just like them, I never want us to be complacent. I'm interested continually in how we improve. So we asked Deloitte, as part of their external review, to... conduct three specific tasks. One, to conduct interview stakeholders. Uh, stakeholder interviews. Strike that, reverse it for those of you who are Willy Wonka fans. Stakeholder interviews. To conduct stakeholder interviews. They did so with our 14 head football coaches, our 14 athletics directors, a group of football officials, and a group of former student athlete athletes and former SEC head football coaches. The second thing we asked was for them to perform data analytics using game reports and our officiating performance reviews. And the third part was to compare our policies against those of other sporting entities, both domestic and international. Here's what we've learned so far. When our policies and procedures were compared with others, we compared favorably. You'll hear in a moment about some adjustments we learned may be helpful. The feedback from those interviewed indicates SEC officials are perceived to better manage the game when compared to their peers. Third, our coaches, athletics directors, and our officials express trust and confidence that the leadership of the SEC office is committed to supporting the highest quality officiating program. Next, there's an open line of communication between the SEC's coordinator of football officials, Steve Shaw, and our head coaches, something for which our head coaches are appreciative and they respect Steve's responsiveness. Steve's approach and his scheduling of His schedule of providing weekly officiating evaluation feedback is helpful to and trusted by our head football coaches. The collaborative replay process speeds up decision making and produces more correct outcomes in which our membership has expressed confidence. In fact, our replay process operates on each play 10 seconds faster than the national average and produces more correct outcomes than the old in-stadium process. We also learned something interesting, and that is both our head coaches and our officials want to improve their working relationship. As a result of the feedback, one of the first adjustments we made was to invite a group of referees, our White Hats, to Destin to spend time in a a facilitated conversation with our head football coaches to hear each side's view of challenges and the realities before, during and after football games. We will do the same thing in a different format with, that, with those groups next spring. We are adding to our collaborative replay process a sideline monitor that will allow the on-field football officials to view the play and communicate with the in-stadium replay booth and the replay officials in the conference's video center. One of the benefits, in addition to the extra voice in the process, will be the ability to better explain replay decisions from the official to our head coaches on the field. In August, our officiating crews will, will travel across the conference for a two day camp during preseason practice involving each of our teams. We're obviously sending different officiating groups to different campuses. During those two days, they'll participate in position meetings, engage in on field practices discuss rules and techniques with coaches and student athletes to improve the understanding of football rules and officiating mechanics and foster that communication. We've also added to the number of outside officiating evaluators. During the year, behind the scenes, 20,000 football plays. Every play of the season are reviewed by film graders. There are 20, some of whom are specialists at each position filled by an official. Those inform our grading system. Each of those evaluators have officiated at the highest level of college football, and many have NFL officiating experience, including playoff experience. For years, the Southeastern Conference has maintained a clear policy governing potential conflicts of interest involving game officials. We are finalizing updates to this policy, which will be made available and communicated publicly in August. We also learn how much data is compiled around officiating. Because of that, we also learn we need to do more in the area of analysis, particularly, if you will, segmented analysis, and not just in football officiating. And we'll be adding to our staff and using outside resources for what is commonly known as the analytics area. In the area of communicating with and through the media, there is a new reality put upon us. And that is, we have officiating experts who now have been invited into the broadcast booth to share their opinions. During game broadcast, commentary will, from time to time, focus extensively on officiating decisions and communicate opinions, whether those opinions are right or wrong. And social media provides a platform for often ill-informed judgments around officiating. Some of our new communication strategies have already been apparent. For example, we've invited members of the media, some of you in this room, to participate as officials in spring football games to understand the realities of officiating the game of football. You'll hear from Steve Shaw twice this week. Tomorrow afternoon, he will talk about rules changes and points of emphasis. We've added a session on Wednesday where Steve will talk about how our football officials are recruited. Trained, evaluated, and the conference's accountability process for its officiating program, along with a You Make the Call and accountability built in for each of you participating. In conjunction with the SEC Network, we expect and are exploring strategies to inform viewers about officiating decisions and to educate throughout the day, game day, through this Platform. We're launching a website today, slash officiating. It is lightly populated at the moment, but we will add educational videos, rules information, and some of the policies that I just referenced that are being updated. And we'll do that across the board for our sports. We're also exploring opportunities to be more engaged and active on social media. That does not mean we will spend all day Saturday. Tweeting about other people's officials, nor about ours. But we do recognize there are opportunities to engage and explain in ways we haven't previously uh, explored. I have great confidence, and the SEC membership through our process has expressed great confidence in the leadership of Steve Shaw, who's respected nationally, which is why Steve was named the NCAA's uh, football rules secretary editor but the reality is football is an incredibly dynamic game played at high rates of speed which demands instant decision-making. We have honorable people filling the SEC's officiating roster. People who approach their work with the highest degree of integrity and the highest commitment to fairly officiate each and every game. Yet officials, just like coaches and players, are human, and our elusive goal of perfection will remain elusive. Yet, we're not going to become complacent, and we'll continue to seek this effort, this expectation of perfection through constant improvement. Changes and change fill our days. There's a lot going on. I know you're ready to ask me questions. There are a few more points that I want to share, a few more thoughts, some of them about the continuing Success we achieve and enjoy in this great conference. In 2018 19, the Southeastern Conference graduated 71,000 students from our campuses.
2: It's an enormous. I want to say something about the SEC officials. Look, it's very imperative that we have these type of um, systems in place to um, get the calls right and absolutely correct. Because the truth of the matter is, look, some of the SEC officials do get the calls wrong, but look, with these um, systems in place, this will um, solidify the um, the calls um, that's uh, wrong, and it can be uh, corrected instantly. I mean, um, just because, look, if they have these systems, does not mean... They're going to get it right um, 99% of the time. They're most likely going to get it uh, right, I could say, between 70 and 80% of the time. Make no mistake about it. So that's the um, thing he was talking about, um, about the SEC um, officiating. Uh, they have all kind of classes and schools that they go to. And then also... They'll have a, um, a, a a rules official um, expert on in the boobs explaining to the um, broadcasters and also the viewers that are watching the TV about these um, initial rules and uh, regulations in this um, in football, on um, this year for, for the SEC. I mean, look, we got like I said as fans. We have to trust what the SEC commissioner and the SEC league office is doing. Doesn't mean, look, we can't criticize them. Because, look, um, you're going to have fans out there criticizing these um, SEC officials. They're going to be saying all kind of stupid stuff on social media where it's going to be, all oh, it's rigged and blah, 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 blah. No. Uh-uh. Look if they could get the call right with these um, uh, systems look, it will help out the game in the long run so um, let's go ahead and finish up um, with the um, SEC commissioner uh, we'll see what else he's gonna say
1: impact on our region, the nation, and the world we had 61 teams earn public recognition awards from the NCA for their academic progress rate and 57 teams have perfect APR scores of 1,000. That's continuing progress academically. We celebrated George's Katira Orji, who was named the NCAA's Woman of the Year. We led the nation in football attendance for the 21st consecutive year. We had half of the most highly viewed televised football games and again, had the most highly viewed conference championship game filling completely Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. We won five national championships this past year and finished second in national championship competition on five other occasions. We also had over 2 million fans attend SEC baseball games, more than double the next highest conference. Having an SEC team finish like Vanderbilt did as national champion is a nice way to move into summer, summer being defined as the 18 days between game three of the College World Series and today. But it also reminds us of the opportunity to better support baseball, softball, and other sports in two key areas. As you know, the SEC submitted a legislative proposal to the NCAA to facilitate transition of the baseball volunteer coach role to one of a full-time coach. No one who opposed the SEC's proposed legislation observed that four coaches in baseball or softball, a head coach, two assistants, and the volunteer, no one observed that that's too many coaches. In fact, if the number of coaches is correct, why do we maintain a structure like this? It's time for change to this rule. And in another area, that of equivalency scholarships, our athletics directors and senior women administrators and a rule that affects baseball, softball, track and field, and any number of sports have started a deep exploration as to the whys and the history and what new options may be available for us in the future in providing scholarships to student-athletes. We expect to provide information and a perspective to the NCA during the next academic year. Through all of that and all the other activity that occurs through the year, I am confident still the best days of this conference, the Southeastern Conference, are ahead. And as is our tradition, I'm gonna ask Kevin to come to the stage, and he's gonna manage our question and answer ses- session. Q and A. Thank you, Commissioner. We have time for a couple of questions. We've got amanda jordan and sarah so if you have a question please raise your hand and we'll get a microphone to you okay we'll start right down here at the front
2: okay uh what he has simulated about um the graduation rates they're the, the aprs are doing very um spectacular and that's one thing they they um emphasize is their education that's one thing they absolutely emphasize um also, on the SEC Network, they're celebrating their fifth anniversary. Um, it started back in September, um, August of two thousand and fourteen. Uh, the SEC Network uh, is grown into a um, a juggernaut um, network um, that um, has uh, SEC uh, sports content twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. So, um, look, I strongly um, urge, if you uh, have um, the cable network you have, whatever, um, strongly um, watch the SEC network, and, and you'll, you'll be able to get them on air and online. So, um, on that note, uh, we will uh, conclude tonight's show. Uh, we will have another um, Conference Media Days tomorrow. Uh, we couldn't get to the um, American Conference Media Days. We'll probably get get to that tomorrow. Um, along with the SEC Media Days, so we'll have that tomorrow as well. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll be on tomorrow. Okay, um, on that note, let me switch this out. This concludes tonight's uh, Sports Talk with Carol Meyer show for um, Monday, um, July 15th. Once again, we'll be back on tomorrow with SEC Media Days, uh, and also um, we'll um, save the... Um, uh, American Conference, will have that for the um, podcast, which will be um, tomorrow night. So we'll have uh, both uh, SEC Media Days and also American Conference Media Days as well. So we'll have both broadcasts tomorrow. Uh, the SEC um, Media Days will be on the SEC Network Plus, And um, the American Conference Media Days will be on um, uh, Facebook Live. That will be um, on the... American Digital Network you can go to um, American Digital Network uh, Facebook page and see if uh, You can uh, give them a like or something like that on their page so um, On that note Like share subscribe Uh, Sports Talk with Carol Weemeyer on Facebook also you can follow me on Instagram Also, you can follow me on uh, WordPress, and also you can follow me on Tumblr. The um, addresses are um, at the bottom of your screen if you see it. Um, The first one is facebook.com slash kerry.wemeier on Facebook. Also, you can follow me on Instagram as well. That's uh, sports talk um, 2505, that's sports underscore talk 2505. Also, you can follow me at um, Sports Talk 78 that's the um, WordPress um, page. Also, you can follow me on uh, Reddit, that's reddit.com user slash LSU underscore lane 2505, that's LSU underscore lane 2505. Also, you can follow me on Tumblr, that is at tumblr.com sportstalk78. That's uh, you got to um, if you search for it, the sports search sports talk in the number 78. Also, you can follow me on um, the uh, Facebook sports talk carol we um, fan page that is um, Facebook.com slash KLW. That's KLW. That's my middle initials 78 25 40. That's 78 25 four oh and put please put KL the or just search Carawe we and you'll be able uh get it. It's will uh, be both pages so um, uh, we'll really appreciate it. So okay we really appreciate um, Richard Anderson coming in here, sharing my video. I appreciate it. And also Fox eighty seven thanks for coming in tonight. I really appreciate it. So um, um, just come on down. Um, Whoever wants to talk to me um, whenever, uh, when I'm on here, so um, I'll allow you in. But please, like I said, always be respectful in the chat rooms, in our chat rooms. Because we don't want any incidents of any kind going on in these um, chat rooms where I have to be Mr. Um, Bad Cop and and throw people out. So please be aware of that. So on that note everybody have a good um, rest of your Monday um, even and we'll be back tomorrow with SEC Media Days starting at 11 a.m. we'll be on with the um, SEC Media Days um, broadcast so until then everybody have a good and safe Monday um, even.